Welcome to Wrestling and Everything Coast to Coast with your hosts, Buddy Satello and Evan Ginsberg. Evan Ginsberg, please introduce our special guest today. There we go. I'm joined by Eric Adams, who I've known since he was a teenager and uh, from the New York area originally. And Eric was trained by the great, and I mean great, Johnny Rods. So, Eric, uh, let, let's start with this. Let's go all the way back. Were you a wrestling fan as a kid? Oh, I was a tremendous wrestling fan as a kid. Buddy, Evan, thank you guys for having me on today, by the way. I really appreciate it. Um, I love the show you guys do. You have some great interviews. Everybody should take a chance to go in the archives and listen to the show. It's awesome. It's one of the best shows you can listen to as far as wrestling interviews go. Um I can remember one of my first memories of wrestling was uh, when I was a real little kid. Um, I got really sick and I was bedridden for about two weeks. I want to spend uh, Superstar is coming on on Saturday morning and I'm seeing the Honky Tonk Man and then uh, I'm seeing Rick Rude and then I'm seeing these vignettes with Ricky the Dragon Steamboat where he's fighting off ninjas and I just remember... My eyes gained as big as silver dollars just seeing all this. You know, it, it was the craziest thing I ever saw in my life because it was real to life. But there were these bigger than life characters. And and I believed everything I saw. I was a great wrestling fan growing up. Um, and once I saw that, I really started to like wrestling. But after I saw WrestleMania five, Hulk Hogan versus Macho Man Randy Savage and uh, Hulk Hogan won the belt. That's when I became really hooked, and that's when I started tormenting my mom. We had a video store right across the street. They used to have uh, the best of the WWF series, volumes one through whatever, best of Hulkamania, steel cage matches and everything, and I used to get all those uh, Coliseum home videos. Yeah. And then I, uh, one morning while I was waiting for, w- for WWF programming, I stumbled upon NWA on Channel 11, the old Chicago show that used to air on WGN. We didn't get WGN in New York. So all their programming was on Channel 11. And uh, that's when I just was like, okay, this is it. (laughs) And I haven't stopped watching since. So how did you get involved in independent wrestling? Well, I'll tell you, um, it all started when I went to my first independent card. I was 13 years old. And uh, well, even and when I was there, I wound up getting um, I was either 12 or 13. I can't remember now. And I wound up getting a program. And in the program, they had numbers for New York wrestling hotlines that didn't cost no money. It was just these two one two numbers. Uh, Evan was uh, a guest always on uh, on uh, a guy named Dominic Valente's. Yeah, um, he's still uh, around. Yeah, Dominic. <laughs> Dominic's yeah. gonna stay around for yeah. forever. He's he's immortal. <laughs> yeah. And uh, there was another guy named Matt Al and uh, the Staten Island Stud. And they these were all these characters that had these, like it was a voicemail, but you could have like an up to I think it was like a five to uh, five to ten minute message, and they would give the wrestling news and the wrestling scoops. And uh, through that, I actually found Evan Ginsberg. And uh, Evan, I, I then called, found his phone number in the phone book. <laughs> yeah, they were phone books back then, kids. Yeah. And I actually called Evan Ginsberg and bugged him to find out about wrestling schools and to get his newsletter, uh, Wrestling Then and Now, because I loved always the history of pro wrestling. And um, 
So that's how I wound up finding out about a guy named the Romanian Warrior who was running a wrestling school in Astoria. He was in and out. And then after him, uh, while, he, while I was there, I met a guy named Gorilla Dizu. Uh, he just recently actually passed away from, unfortunately, from what we have going on right now with the coronavirus. And uh, between him and Evan and everybody always talking about Johnny Rods is Johnny Rods and Jason Knight talking about how he trained at Johnny Rods's. Um, when I was 14, I went to Johnny, I lied and said I was 16 and, uh, I started working, delivering pizzas on wall street during the day and, uh, paid for wrestling school and I started training at Johnny Rods's. Wow. And what do you think of the fans who don't quite grasp how great Johnny Rods was, is, I mean, um, this, this guy was as consistent as anybody. And I think they judge him on his win, win loss record, which doesn't make sense to me. You know, I, I, I love that, actually. And I'll tell you why I love it. Um, you've seen the Da Vinci Code, right? Yeah. And, you know, it all starts with the dollar bill and the pyramids and the symbols in it and everything like that. I like to see when people say that and they're like, well, why is Johnny Rods in the Hall of Fame? And then they start exploring and they see these videos online where Ted DiBiase and J.J. Dillon and Roddy Piper and Bubba Ray Dudley and Tommy Dreamer and Taz and all these guys start talking about Johnny Rods. And so then you stop worrying about the win-loss record and you start finding out about the, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? The, the legend of Johnny Rods. You know, because for people who don't know, Johnny Rods was, because uh, I'll never forget this. This was the first time I ever saw a picture of Vince McMahon Sr. was in Johnny Rods' office. And it was autographed by Vince Sr. He still has it in his office to this day. It says, to my top gun, Johnny Rods. Hmm. And I never knew what that meant. And um, Arnold Scullin used to come by every so often because him and Johnny were great friends. And he, Arnie always used to look at Johnny and call him the kid, which is the funniest thing. Johnny's like 60 at the time. And yeah. excuse me, he was... Excuse me, Johnny was not 60. He was 25 at the time when I was training, we'll say. And, uh, you know, so I finally got Arnold once. I was like, Mr. Scullin, um, on one of these autographs, Vince Sr. says to my top gun. And then that's when he explained it to me. And then I just became an even more passionate fan of pro wrestling because now I was learning not only these insider terms that aren't out in the open, but I was also learning about the inner workings of the business and how, you know, this business is, was based around protecting the business. So you had these gatekeepers in every sense of the word from the locker room to in the ring. And Johnny was a gatekeeper. He was Vince senior's favorite top gun. He tried everybody. And if you didn't have the right attitude, Johnny would handle you. He was a second Dan in judo. Uh, he trained with Carl Gotch in shooting Wow. And he was just one of those guys that you could always know that he was coming for it. I'll tell you off the top of my head, the three greatest Johnny Rods matches I saw out of hundreds. I saw yeah. him wrestle Billy Robinson at the Garden. It was like a Ooh. clinic. Like a clinic. Oh, I wish I could get that one. I've never got to see that match. I saw Johnny Rods wrestle Fujinami at the Nassau Coliseum for the junior heavyweight belt. And it, it, it blew everything else on the show away, okay? <laughs> and down at Gleason's, I saw Johnny Rods and Black Gordon. That yeah. was amazing. That was when amazing. Johnny started his school, he used to do shows, and he would bring in 
uh, a lot of talent that would be in the area at the time. So guys like Black Gorman and Mr. Pogo and Onita and um, a lot of talent from, uh, I think even Mil Mascaras came in and did one of the really? producing shows for Johnny. Yeah. Wow. Johnny had a lot of talent that came through. And uh, interesting fact about Johnny, I don't know if this is public, because um, I actually met Gypsy Joe's son-in-law. And uh, so I was like, you know, we're connected. And he's like, how? And I said, because back in the 70s, because remember, Johnny was wrestling with the WWE since 68. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, Johnny Rods and Gypsy Joe used to work all the out show, outlaw shows in New York City, too, under masks. Hmm. They were a tag team called Red Devil, which was Gypsy Joe, and Hineta de la Cruz, uh, the Horseman of the Cross, hmm. which was Johnny Rods' character. And... Then that made me go down a whole nother wormhole of just the outlaw shows that used to happen in New York City. Yeah, yeah. You know, because when you think of outlaw shows, you hear the stories of like the Popos in Kentucky, or you hear the shows of like in Knoxville when there was the whole war when Bob Roof and all them uh, made the Plan v B video and we're trying to make sure that um, Barnett didn't buy the territory and all these other things. And I just, I really became a big fan of all that. Buddy? Oh, hey, yeah, guys, yeah, I'm so sorry. Hold on one second, guys. I'm so sorry. We have Hold a on. video interruption for the moment. Uh-oh. Well, uh, due to technical difficulties, well, let me pause the... Well, uh, can I pause this? Why don't we just continue, Meme? Yeah, we'll just continue for a moment while he rejoins us here. Um, but he makes an interesting... Hey guys, about, I'm, oh, I'm, there we I'm are. so okay. sorry. So sorry. Okay. I, 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 I'm still working. So I got these guys calling in. I'm, I'm, I run the security detail for a, a medical clinic in downtown Atlanta. So oh, when my. there's an issue, I got to answer immediately. Oh yeah, no problem. This oh, yeah, is total improv. Yeah. 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 Um, but uh, in fact, tell tell us how you moved from New York to Atlanta. And well, uh, actually. Atlanta is my most recent stop. <laughs> I've uh, I've done this uh, kind of self-imposed journeyman travel um, from New York. I went to Knoxville, Tennessee, um, I because I wanted to learn all I could. And at the time, Knoxville was a good hub to get to Charlotte, to get to Atlanta, to get to uh, Louisville, Kentucky, to get to Nashville, to get to Memphis even. And uh, at the time, you know, there was still studio wrestling in Memphis. Uh, OVW was going great. Um, there was a lot of shows in the Georgia area, a lot of shows in the Carolinas and South Carolinas area. And they all had uniquely different styles. And uh, Louisville, you had more of that of that Memphis style of wrestling, which is based around, excuse me, based around storytelling and heat. But Louisville was more technically sound. Louisville was the Louisville, Dayton, Ohio, you had more technical wrestling and fans appreciating really good technical wrestling skills. And, of course, the heat that comes with it. Knoxville taught me, Knoxville and Nashville taught me the power of just one good punch and selling that so the crowd would just eat, you know, would eat you alive. Almost like a Puerto Rico feel. Um, hmm. Charlotte, uh, well, the whole North Carolina, South Carolina scene was one of those scenes where it was a lot more tag team based, where tag team is the big thing still to this day. And I mean, you look at what, what made them famous, the Crockett's were tag team territory originally. Oh yeah. And um, 
So, you know, there's a lot of tag team wrestling, a lot of um, the baby face always comes out on top. Then when you go to Georgia, it's such the Wild West because you're either professionally trained by some of the best trainers you can find, like a Robert Gibson, like an A.R. Fox, like a Jody Hamilton, like um, a Rock, uh, I said Robert Gibson already, um, guys of that, you know, elk at the time. Elk, elk, not elk, sorry. <laughs> yes. But, um, but then you had a whole bunch of outlaws who didn't know what they were doing, so you learned to protect yourself, and you learned how to become a better wrestler and performer for it because you don't know if you're going to get to have one night you're working with somebody who's really great and you get to go out there and just paint. And then there's other nights you got to go out there and you got to swing the hammer. And uh, it helped a lot from Knoxville. Also at that time, I was wrestling a lot for a company called uh, UWA that was based out of Knoxville that used to run the Green Acres Flea Market every Thursday night. Um, but in that flea market, we had Dr. Tom Pritchard every week. We had Ricky Morton every week. We had Tracy Smothers every week. Uh, we had a, a, a who's who of wrestling come through there. Kofi Kingston, before he signed with Deep South, came down there. Uh, Ryback came down there. AJ Styles, Shannon Moore. Um, we had America's Most Wanted come in. We had when guys would get released and they were still living either in Louisville or Atlanta. The next week, they'd come wrestle for us at the flea market. Mm. Uh, so we got a lot of great talent that came through those doors. And working with Dr. Tom Pritchard and Ricky Morton and Tracy Smothers on a weekly basis, I mean, you, you just can't, you know, these are Jedis of the wrestling business. You can't help but learn. You know what I mean? And uh, once that started to fold it up, um, that's when in 2010, I decided to move to Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, Charlotte was a quiet area at the time. There wasn't a lot going on. But then uh, Flair and Hogan ran a show. Uh, well, uh, Flair ran a show along with High Spots to debut Reflair. And they brought Hogan in and they brought the Nasty Boys in. And they brought everybody in for this show. And I said, there's potential here. Um, another company called NWA Charlotte opened up. They put some big money into it. Unfortunately, like the wrestling business, those who have the money can't, can't do it. And those who can do it don't have the money. Right. But I saw the Carolinas wrestling scene and where it was growing. And I mean, out of that scene, you have the revival, you have Cedric Alexander, you have uh, big swole, you have, um, just a, a lineage of guys for a while there, especially in the past couple of years on WWE TV, some of the best matches that everybody was talking about was coming out of these guys who were all Carolina guys. Yeah, and why do you think the NWA wasn't able to succeed, the NWA? It wasn't the NWA's fault. It was the fact that they got this beautiful building and they put the sets in and the design and everything and... They forgot about putting in a sprinkler system. Hmm. Oh, really? So <laughs> it was a $125,000 problem. Wow. And they organically on their own were getting paid six, seven, eight hundred people a show. Hmm. And then it just took that one time. You know, it just took that. They forgot to put in a sprinkler system in their building for the, for the crowd. And that's what blew it all. 
That's the real story. Hmm. And of course, you know, the, the normal Southern wrestling politics get in the way. Somebody called the fire marshal and did that. But at the end of the day, you have no one to blame but yourself for not having your building up to code. So, Absolutely. You, so, yeah, the guy made the phone call and got rid of you, but you should have had your ducks in a row. Which, you know, unfortunately in pro wrestling, you know, you know, people usually don't have their ducks in a row, and that's why we're in the situation we're in now. Hmm. And, but, and what uh, do you feel about the situation that we're in now? I think we're better off than we have been in. Um, I'm going to mention, and uh, there was a situation that happened, a murder-suicide situation that killed the entire wrestling business. Because I know, because I was living through it, a lot of fans stopped coming to shows for about a good, I want to say, 10 years, from 2007 to about 2016, so almost 10 years. You were lucky if you were drawing 200 people on a card. Because, you know, when, when this murder-suicide situation happened, it made fans go away from the wrestling business. Because, you know, it, it just, nobody wants to be associated with something like that. You had a lot of the great promoters lead, leave the business, and you lost your gatekeepers. And so when those gatekeepers left, it opened the door for just anybody to come in. Um... When I broke into the business, when I was a kid, you know, we only had so, I still had to go through everything every man did in order to get in. And if you didn't make the cut, you were gone. And you had to prove your worth. You had to prove that you were willing to take the heat and you were willing to give it back. And you had to prove that you were a good human being or you were out. And that's the thing that I think is what's hurting the business right now is it's just wide open and there's no gatekeepers and there's no accountability. And I mean, to see these horror stories that are coming out, especially on an independent level in the past week, I mean, that's just monstrous behavior by a bunch of people who feel like they can get, a, that they're bulletproof because they can do whatever they want because they're friends of friends or they got jobs here or there. And you can't do that. You can't. And, you know, I really hope that this isn't one of those cases where someone goes, I hope this is a lot like the Rude Boy Riley situation. Rude Boy Riley was convicted, found guilty of uh, child pornography, infant pornography, and nobody will have him back in the business. And just because these girls were teenagers or young female adults, I hope they don't let these men back into business. I know I won't work with them. Have you yourself witnessed situations like this in the indie feds that you've worked with? I mean, you don't have to name any names. I lived through it. I'm sorry? I lived through it. You did. You got to remember when I moved from Knoxville, from New York to Knoxville, Tennessee, I was just a 20 year old, good looking kid. I'm not the guy who you see today. Um, Offered sexual favors for spots on shows or for better pay Uh, offered by promoters. Hey, take some pictures in your underwear and I'll give you two hundred and fifty dollars. But I don't feel my story is important right now. I think the important story right now 
are these female wrestlers who have been treated incorrectly and these young teenage wrestling fans. And that's why I've made the post I made on Facebook the other day. And it got shared a lot. And I wish it gets shared more. And I'd like for people to help me share the sentiment. Stop sexualizing teenage wrestling fans. I did see that on your Facebook. And I mean, yes, I would absolutely, you know, the ring rat phenomenon is something that is not something that... I don't see nothing wrong with ring rats because there's a difference between ring rats and a teenage girl who just wants to meet their favorite wrestler. Okay? Um, No matter what industry you're in, they have badge bunnies. They have lizard lot. Uh, was it a lot lizards? They have uh, groupies. They have ring rats. There are people in this business that they will consensually agree that they want to have a romantic uh, experience with a professional wrestler. And as long as it's two consenting adults, there's no problem with that. I see no issue with ring rats whatsoever. But when you're a teenage girl. And you're trying to do that. You as a man, you need to step up and go, no, that's not going to happen, sweetheart. Or even in in a case of where they don't want that, you don't approach them about that. If you don't get a verbal, you know, with teenage girls, they don't know what the hell they want. No teenage boy knows what he wants. So you can't, you just can't do that. And, you know, like I said, it just comes down to, I don't think 16-year-old girls go out with the intent that they want to go sleep with a fucking 30-year-old, go get accosted by a 35, 40-year-old pro wrestler in some cases. They want to go to the show. They want to meet their idol. Even if they have a little crush, you know, okay, yeah, you sign their picture. You take, you, you know, you sign their poster. You give them a hug, the one arm like this. Just like this, folks. That's all it takes. When you take a picture, arm on shoulder, side to side. (laughs) <laughs> if they're okay with it and then you you just let it go and but unfortunately we're dealing with a business full of monsters and those monsters need to be th- need to be slayed and it really sucks because there's a lot of really good people in this business who are not like that I'm glad you're getting the shaft I'm glad you said that um, teachers for example um it's just that line. You do not touch a student. Simple. Yes. Simple. Okay. Now, you have 90 or so wrestlers that have been accused, and I'm sure many are guilty, but at the same time, each case is individual, and you still have to go along with innocent until proven guilty in many cases. Oh, absolutely. But yeah. once you're up to 17 accusations. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'll give you one of my favorite lies that I've heard all my life. If you hear for 20 years that this guy's a crackhead, you could damn well bet there's a crack pipe somewhere. It was kind of like it was kind of like with Bill Cosby when you had 80, 80 accusers and the geniuses are going, they're all gold diggers. And I'm like, no, there's 80 women. Somebody's telling the truth. Yeah, there's, there's he said, she said, and then there's he said, they said. Yeah. And that's a big difference, you know, when but but one thing that that I was going to try to get in a little bit deeper, 
Eric, and, and see if you wanted to, to get there, because that's what I love about this show, is having a discussion where we write our... I was going to ask you about this very topic, and you just went right into it. Sure. But is there something about the way that the locker room is? And we've we've been there. All of us have been in wrestling locker rooms. There's that kind of, like, high school mentality, like you're doing something that you loved kind of as an adolescent. And so you want to hold on to not growing up. And so there's this attitude, like it's like high school that just never ends when you're in some locker room. Yes. I've, I've called professional wrestling the 13th grade for a very long time. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, and I mean, we all have fun in the locker room and there's times where you can have fun and joke around and everything like that. But there's a, fine line between ribs and practical jokes and sexually or verbally assaulting a woman. There's a fine line and it's really not that hard to find that line. And um, I'm trying to think how I can explain this. When we used to have gatekeepers in the locker room, we had locker room leaders. Uh, The WWE still has locker room leaders. It used to be the undertaker now it's somebody else. You know, it's not my job to say who's who. But, um, you know, there was always that locker room leader who it was his job to maintain that locker room and make sure that things were run right. Sort of like uh, within baseball, there's always the, the, the coach player guy. And it's his job to make sure that that locker room is cleaned up and that nothing's going on. Well, now that in this business we don't have that veteran who can sit in a locker room and his whole job is just to make sure things are being done right. It's an issue. And I think another big issue we're having is there was a certain class of guy when I started wrestling in the late 90s. Nick Bockwinkle once did a show for Johnny. I'll never forget this. Nick Bockwinkle showed up. This is one of his last wrestling matches. He showed up in his suit. Uh, he told, you know, he told his dirty jokes, but there was a certain amount of class to him. And he was just a classy guy, and he was a throwback of who you wanted to be. When you go backstage at the WWE, um, I'm strictly talking the talent now, there's a certain bit of class that these guys carry themselves with. And, you know, they'll be joking around, they'll have be, be having fun and jumping around, but it's always respectful. On an independent level, especially on these smaller shows... It's just these promoters who want to pay a guy $25 so they won't book me. Guys, I'm so sorry. Hold on one second. I apologize. It's all right. You, but you're making a great point, so to keep going. Okay. So, but, so buddy, when, when we have these little breaks, uh, do a couple of quick plugs. Everybody check out 350 Days and Wrestling Then and Now on Amazon Prime, folks. Um Red Hot, Billy Graham in 350 Days, and Nikolai Volkov, Killer Kowalski, Homicide, Don Dr. Death Arnold in Wrestling Then and Now. Amazon Prime, both films are free. 350 Days, also, also on uh, Tubi and Roku, so it's not hard to find. 350 Days, the movie.com. And, uh, Anything you want to plug, buddy, while we're waiting? Yeah, I'll be doing the uh, Indie Handshake podcast. If you can't, you don't get enough of me right now, you'll get an hour and a, a hour and 45 minutes worth of Buddy Satello. 
and it, everything that made Buddy Sotelo what he is today. And uh, it's with uh, Paul Pontes, uh, who interviews me directly for uh, the Indie Handshake podcast. So you can find it at IndieHandshakePodcast.com, uh, and it's also on Apple Podcasts. You can just look for it, Indie Handshake, or you can find it on YouTube. Just go type in Indie Handshake. Um, on uh, one of those uh, forums, and you can find me. And uh, certainly, hopefully, you check that out because you know it's always good to to talk. So and check out the wrestling and everything uh, coast to coast uh, Facebook page and uh, like, share, spread the word. We have all our episodes posted there as well as on YouTube. And uh, just a quick disclaimer: the opinions, the comments of. Uh, all of our guests not necessarily shared or endorsed by yours truly or Buddy Sotelo. Correct, Buddy? Yeah, but I pretty, much a lawyer. I pretty much agree with him. You know, I, I in fact, I thought what he was saying was really poignant. I really want to get deeper in depth on this issue because it's really central to what's what's bothering people about wrestling. Oh, no, right? that's, a, that's a general comment for all of us, Joe. We, yeah. we used to have a disclaimer on my old Legends Radio show each and every episode. You know, it's just a, just a little legal, uh, <laughs> a legal uh, thing. Well, we I, you know what, though? I think for the most... Oh, okay, here we are. Hold on. Let me, let me see if I can bring him in. Oh, he's still... Okay, are you guys there? The, yeah, we're we're back. We were able okay, to... Sorry about that. That's okay. We, 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 we plowed ahead. Don't worry. Okay, so you guys are still going through. I don't have to start over with the point. Oh, no, no, no. I, that's too much editing. I'm way too lazy to do something like that. <laughs> well, my apologies. Um, no, it's but what you're saying is really poignant, so I, I, I want you to well, continue with your... Well, your... yeah, it's the problem is there's no gatekeepers, and so anyone who gets over feels like they can just say and do whatever they want. And there are people that they hurt other people in this business because they know they can get away with it and they can say and do whatever they want. And it sucks. It really does. And that's become the big issue is these promoters, like I said, they'll pay to bring me in maybe five or six times a year, but they run weekly. So they're going to pay the $25 guy to be on their show every week. And that $25 guy, he might not have the best intentions in the world. And he might be a mo He might be one of these people who's a problem, who's problematic. And, you know, that's when it stopped being a business, when people realized they could just get away with cheap talent and cheap labor. And, you know, you get what you pay for. But I wanted to go even deeper than that, not to, sure. to, to keep digging in this, but is there something about the fact that how the business works, that we're dealing with fame, we're dealing with things that, as you pointed out, are larger than life, that, that you know, the audience and how much it adores the performers. And that gives a certain sense of power to those that are performers, I think. And that's like if you've ever been big timed by somebody, you know, somebody. Oh, that, of course. Yeah, that that really thinks that what they're doing in wrestling makes them like special in a way. 
well, there is that. There is that. When you when you perform for somebody, whether you're a musician, whether you're a dancer, whether you're an actor, whether you're you know a wrestler, when the audience really digs what you're doing, that gives you that sense of power. You think there's just this sort of thing that like people are in this position to manipulate other folks based on that, and that that power goes to their head and makes them corrupts them in ways without any guidance. Yes, absolutely. I can see that. Um, I'm sorry. We're about to get a storm to come through. Let me turn this light on so you guys can oh, see boy. me. Oh, There we go. Yeah. <laughs> Couldn't be a nicer day in, in California, but I, I'm oh, sure. Oh, um, we're, we're flickering back and forth. We're flickering back and forth. Um, if we lose you, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely have you on at another time. Yeah, but definitely. we'd love to get, you know, continue. Well, to... I'll, I'll tell you this much. I believe that's in the person. The person's going to show you right off the bat if they're one of those people where the stardom of independent wrestling goes to their head, which to me, stardom and independent wrestling is an oxymoron. It's like jumbo (laughs) shrimp. No one's getting rich. No one's getting famous. Um, The Young Bucks did a great publicity job, but everybody forgets the reason those guys got to a point where they were selling millions of dollars of merchandise is because at the same time they were in ring of honor, they were on impact wrestling, they were in new Japan pro wrestling. And then hot topic was the one that really gave them the boost because hot topic was one of the vendors for the WWE that came down for WrestleMania weekend. They saw these bullet club shirts. They thought they looked amazing. And they said, how can we start selling these bullet club shirts? And the WWE said, oh, those aren't ours. So Hot Topic continued their WWE licensing. And then they went to Pro Wrestling Tees and started licensing their merchandise. So, but none of the money they make, I feel as if it really comes from bookings. I think it's just like music where your money comes from your merchandise sales. And they were smart businessmen and they promoted themselves correctly for their audience. And they got it. And, um... But as far as on an independent level, you know, I'm talking second tier and below independent wrestling. To me, first tier independent wrestling, you're talking about Impact Wrestling. You're talking about Ring of Honor. Uh, you're talking about, well, no, I'd put, I'd, I'd put Ring of Honor higher. So we'll say, you know, second tier or all those companies. And then you have the third tier independent, which is where the real issues lay. Because they just let anyone and everyone wrestle. There were so many shows that you'll find where there were people who are sexual predators that are on, you know, sexual predator lists across the United States that they're allowed to perform on these shows. They're allowed to run wrestling shows. And people turned a blind eye because it's not that they have the fame, it's that they're chasing the fame. So if they think this promoter is going to pay them this much money to wrestle for them and they're going to get a push no matter if it doesn't do anything to help their career they're going to run to go to that guy and they're going to stay silent about everything else going on in the business that's where you have the problem is silence personal opinion there you go so eric uh i i must ask this you you were trained by the best you've worked with the best you've worked around the world what are the politics as far as, you know, how come we're not seeing you on WWE or whatnot? 
Mm. That's my fault. Um, I spent a lot of years not purposely chasing this. Um, I didn't work out right. I was a great worker. Well, not a great worker. I was... People have said I'm a great worker, but I wasn't cosmetically appealing in an era when that's all they cared about. In the last regime of the WWE, when they had, um, well, two regimes ago now for talent relations, that guy only wanted people six foot one with abs. So I said, okay, I'm never going to go to the WWE because he literally stated one time to me, if you're not six foot one, six foot two with abs, I have no use for you. Wow. Wow. And at six foot tall and uh, built like how I am, no matter how hard I try, I'm never going to have abs. <laughs> but um, but is, isn't that an injustice? I mean, I come from an era where Ray Stevens, Dusty Rhodes, Pat Patterson and whatnot. Greg Valentine. These guys, yeah, these guys had beer bellies. These were among the greatest wrestlers of all time. And Only you're right. Man isn't known for his abs. Ollie Race, Ollie Race didn't have right. a six pack of abs. And you're absolutely right. And what's happened to the wrestling business since it's changed? It's a, it's gotten a, a lot worse. Yeah, you have to look at it like this. If you look at when WCW and WWF were going to war on the Monday Night Wars, Monday Night Wars, you had more than 10 million people watching wrestling in the United States alone every Monday night. Viewership has sunk so low that now, what channel is it that shows AEW? TNT or TBS? They're owned by the same people. TNT. Okay. The same channel that canceled WCW Monday Night Nitro because they were only pulling fours in the ratings. Just signed a three-year deal with, with AEW, a brand new deal, and they're barely clearing a million homes. Yeah, it's like one and a half or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's um, a, there's a lot more, obviously, for people to pay attention to, but people also aren't as thrilled with the, you know, empty arena show. And that's fine, but I'm saying before that happened, they were barely clearing, clearing a million. When I was a kid in high school, so we're talking late 90s, you would see WWF shirts. You'd see N- you see Stone Cold 316 shirts. You'd see NWO shirts. You'd see ECW shirts everywhere you went. Oh, yeah. Now you At just see one a day. Club. Yeah, now you don't, you're lucky if you see one once a day. I'm talking about in regular everyday life. Exactly. Pro wrestling was a part of the fabric of life at that time. Yeah. Yeah, and, no. I, it's, and it's if you look at something. Not. Yeah, yeah, and if you look at something like NXT now, NXT's doing great. They're not still not doing the ratings Raw and SmackDown are doing. But you see they have a, a, a collection of different athletes of different sizes, different weights, different heights, different ethnicities. And you're seeing that the people enjoy this product. So when I started seeing that about two, three year, about two years ago, I decided I was going to give this another try. And so I've taken it more seriously here in Atlanta since I moved here a year ago. Um, I've also been working with Robert Gibson a lot. Robert Gibson, I help out sometimes at his school. Pretty much by helping out, he tells me what to, to show them, and I show them. 
But, uh, you know, and sometimes I'll come up with some ideas for them. And sometimes I learn from them just watching how they're doing things. And um, so, yeah, this past year was really a big past two years have been a big push for me. And uh, unfortunately, now we're under quarantine. So I'm in a holding pattern. <laughs> right. See, I, I've, I've seen the best of the best for almost 50 years. And I think of Eric Adams as probably the best unsigned talent out there. Thank and, you, Evan. No, I mean that sincerely. I'm not just Thank saying because you so you're on the show. And uh, I've seen you wrestle live many times. And, uh, and just, he never once asked for a refund, folks. He was so sweet. That's right. He saw me my first two, three years in this business, and he never once demanded a refund after he had to watch those stinkers. Yeah. So what do you consider some of your highlights, career highlights? Oof. Um... I got to start with my first official pro match. Um, I didn't do much in it, but still, I was in the ring with one of my idols, Steve Dr. Death Williams, for uh, Major League Wrestling at the Manhattan Center. Uh, me and Tim Arson versus uh, a man who would become James Bronson on NXT and Steve Dr. Death Williams. Um, I would say going to Puerto Rico and getting so much heel heat that they were spitting on me. Yes. <laughs> when were you in Puerto Rico, by the way? I'm just curious. Excuse me? When were you in Puerto Rico? Uh, this was World Wrestling Council. This is when Timmy was down there. I went down there a couple times. Uh, so I want to say this is like 06, 07. So you may have worked with my my friend Mark Smith. Mark Smith. Bison Smith. Mark the Bison. Mark bison. bison, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was down there when Bison was there. Yeah. I was with Bison... One of my trips down, Bison was there, and he told me he was getting ready to go to ROH. And then he went to ROH. And then, like, three weeks later, I saw him uh, debut on ROH. So he was yeah. uh, finished up. But God bless him. You know, God rest his soul. Such a great, Mark great talent. Mark and I talent. entered the business together. I mean, we, we that's how I got started was managing Mark. Really? Mark is, yeah, Super Destroyer 2000 back so, in all pro wrestling. Yeah, so, yeah, so you're in California. Yep. Yeah, that's yep. what I was about to say. Yeah, so, uh, oh, God, what was that pr promoter's name that ran all pro wrestling? Roland Alexander. Roland, uh, is he still around? No, he died years ago. Really? He I heard he was such a character, man. I, you, it's for another show, but <laughs> at, see, that's how I got started. I was the attorney for all pro wrestling and mm -hmm. worked with Roland Alexander, and he made me a professional wrestling manager. For guys like Vinny Massaro and Mark Smith and yeah. Boom Boom Kamini and the whole West Coast stuff. You know, there was a couple of guys like Boom Boom Kamini and uh, uh, Mike Modest. And, Mike Modest. Know, Crash Holly and all those yep. guys I used to watch out of all pro wrestling that, you know, I was just Mike Modest. What a tragedy that is because he was such a talent. No, Mike's fine. Mike, Mike. Well, Mike's no, I'm fine. saying I'm saying the fact he never got his run on a mainstream wrestling product is a tragedy. Oh, I was gonna say he's the West Coast version of you. <laughs> no, really. When you were when you were when 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 uh, 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 Evan was just saying those things about you, yeah. I was saying, God, he reminds me of Mike Modest. Well, Seriously. Mike Modest was absolutely doing this longer than me, and if I could be half the talented performer that Mike Modest is in my career, I could absolutely call this a successful career. He was an amazing guy in the ring, and he's just too old to do anything right now, but he gave it his all. 
but he did. He really have did. Some he was a tremendous matches in WCW and the WWF. He had, and, you know, and of course he had a great run in Japan. You know, and uh, I really respect Mike Modest. I always thought he was a very talented wrestler. Oh God, what was the guy that Mike Modest used to team with? Um, Donovan Morgan. Donovan Morgan was another one I thoroughly was entertained by watching, and. Vic Grimes was always entertaining to watch and terrifying because of just how athletic he was for a big guy. Um, but yeah, there was a lot of guys out of there. I remember seeing like American Dragon was down there for a while. That was Brian Danielson who yeah. turned into Daniel Bryant. So yeah, I mean there were a lot of folks. It's but it's I'm I'm thrilled to hear that you work with Mark Smith because just anyone that knew him knew what a really genuine guy he was. And I know he was, Evan doesn't he was, want me going on and on about Mark Smith, but he, yeah. he's a guy that when I the Thanksgiving time rolls around, I think about him. It's almost, I think it, this year will be eight years that he died. Yeah. And he would have been the perfect guy to be, to be a gatekeeper at some of these promotions because he was a very respectful human being. He was, he was respected. He was respectful. And, but he didn't put up with no bullshit. I'll tell you that much right now. He did not put up with no bullshit, especially when he moved out to uh, St. Louis for a while there when he was doing the Harley camps and everything. We would see him on indie shows, and I watched him, uh, this one independent show. I'm not even going to mention them. They're not even around no more. But uh, I saw where this one guy got really out of hand one time uh, with his uh, yelling at a woman, this promoter. For something that the woman couldn't even help, and I watched Bison put that promoter in his place. He he was truly someone that stood up for yes. like people who were being bullied, and he's a remarkable guy. And um, I just I miss him probably a every hell day. Of a worker. Some hell of a way. worker. Yeah, yeah. His stuff in Noah, especially those be, those uh, early years of Noah when he was one of the few guysians, along with Vader and uh, Two Cold Scorpio coming in. I just great work, great great work out of that guy. I really was a fan of his. I saw him live. I saw him live for Ring of Honor in New York. He was tremendous. Yeah. tremendous. A lot of people really also was. don't don't know he was part of the six man tag team that was there when Misawa died. He yeah, was on the other side of the tag. Team. Yeah, he was with Go Shiozaki and um, I forgot who the other guy was in the match. Eerie foreshadowing. It was eerie yeah. foreshadowing. It's, I mean, it's, I, it's, I, I don't know what happened to Puerto Rico, by the way. I've never gotten a full story about that. Which, of why he left? What? Well, I, I, I mean, they said he had a heart attack in Puerto Rico, but I've never gotten any other details other than um, that. So. I mean, he was a big guy, and he ran hard, and he worked hard in the ring, and, you know, years of getting dropped on your head, and years of... You know, everything else that goes on, you know, it catches up to you, you know. You but it wasn't drugs, man. It wasn't no, drugs. No, not at all. Not I'll at tell all. you I'm that. Not, I'm, not a, I'm not saying that. I'm saying the hard living of, you know, three, two weeks you're in, you do a two-week tour of Noah, and then you're on a plane to San Juan, and then you're on another plane to, uh, to uh, Ring of Honor in Philadelphia, and then you're going back to San Juan and then going straight to Japan with no break. That all catches up to you real quick. And, you know, his love of the business and especially for how big of a guy he was, he didn't complain about nothing and all his hard work. I think that's what all caught up with him. Just just how hard he went at this business, because he really was like a 
like a like a bison. He just hurtled through and just went. And it was really a shame when he passed away. I think he'd be one of the biggest stars on WWE TV right now. I could see him and Roman Reigns main eventing a WrestleMania. Personal wow. opinion. Wow. So I, I have nothing more to add other than it's a tremendous tragedy that he's gone. So I mean, I'll, I'll try to lighten the mood, but it's it's interesting <laughs> that we have that we do know all these other wrestlers in common. That, that's yeah, really absolutely. Great. Yeah, it's really great. So where do you think things are going to go with the COVID? 19 right now and the virus problems that we have is live wrestling done is you know is is crowds big crowds ever going to come back i mean what about for indie shows i'll tell you this right now um who can predict really the future uh i have a friend of mine he's a doctor here in the atlanta area and I asked him two weeks ago, I said, so are we in the clear? And he said, ah, hell no. No, we're not done. It. We're not in the clear at all. We'll be back in uh, stay-at-home orders within the next two to three weeks. Wow. And you're seeing what's happening in Florida. You're seeing what's happening in Texas. And you're seeing what's happening in, um, what was the other state? Florida, Texas. In my own Arizona. county. In my own county here, we've got higher numbers than we've ever had. So I'm, I'm with you on this. Well, you have to remember, our state was the first one to open, and we were number seven on the list of most cases in the country. Georgia, he opened that up way too soon. And now we're seeing the issues that are coming up, you know? And so, I I don't know. I'd love for wrestling to come back. I'm scheduled to make my return to the ring August the 8th, Saturday, August the 8th, for uh, All-Pro Championship Wrestling in Douglasville, Georgia. I would really love for that show to happen, but it's, is it worth risking even one child's life or one senior citizen's life to run a show? That's the real question. You know, APCW was doing everything they can to accommodate to the social distancing rules, but at the end of the day, I have to question that. And it's hard for me to question that because I could lose bookings just saying this right now. You know, because there are people who, you know, they just want to run. They want to make money. They want to go. They want to go. They want to go. And I would love to have wrestling come back too. But is it really safe yet? That's the real question. Is it fi- is it safe? I mean. I'm asking you how you feel. I'm asking you directly. And, and I'm trying to come up with an answer for you. That's why I'm asking questions too. Um, it, it's, it's a real touchy subject for me because, you know, I, I take care of a 70, 78 year old, you know, uh, senior citizen with disabilities and one of the, and some of those include breathing issues. And so I don't leave the house all that much right now because if I do, I put them at risk. So, um, I feel as if, if you're single, if you're young, if you're athletic, and you can take the risk, by all means, take the risk. But in a situation like mine, um, I'm having to find, even with my regular day-to-day job, I'm having to find alternative measures to make sure that, you know, my parents who I take care of is going to be safe if I go to work and if I go to do shows. Um, I don't think we're in the clear. I think the biggest issue we're having is people not wearing face masks and 
these towns and counties opening up too quickly. Um, I feel they didn't put plans in place. They were more worried. Uh, I'll give you an example here in Georgia. Even though it was a two it was a two week stay at home mandatory order, they still kept open the liquor stores because they make their money off that. But they didn't put in place online Zoom AA meetings for alcoholics who need them uh. that are now stuck at home or uh, Addicts Anonymous that they need these meetings. Luckily, there were people who stepped up to the plate and they created their own AA meetings and Addict Anonymous meetings because I have friends who have issues like that and I try and keep up with them. And uh, I had one friend who I really had to make sure that they were okay. And I had to help them find these online meetings for their, their issues with their dependencies. And suicides have doubled in Queens, New York. Um, Absolutely. Including a uh, friend of mine. And, um, you know, um, these are issues that really aren't being addressed. Being stuck in the house for months and months. I, I mean, yeah. but... But in the same breath, that's what we're going to have to do to get through this. So we. Can oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. Let's. Get I mean, through. here's the craziest thing to me: our governor wants everything wide open. The insane clown posse canceled the gathering of the Juggalos this year oh because they said it's not worth risking one fan's life. South by Southwest. Yeah. For the first time in my life, I can say that. The insane clown posse is more responsible than the governor of a state in the there United States. Think go. about that. Yeah. I mean, come on. <laughs> but I, what I'm saying is, if if we're if we're stuck at home for many many more months, they need services for the people that Eric and I are talking about. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, you know, when they're starting to do that now, you know, like um, the the person I take care of. They've been able to do their uh, doctor's visits over Skype and uh, Zoom, and and that helps a lot. Um, spousal abuse that. is up also, you know? Absolutely it is. Yeah, there's stuff that's going to have to be addressed if we're home another six months. I would hope it doesn't go that long. <laughs> but um, like I said, I'm booked for a show August the 8th. They're trying to implement every uh, safety precaution that has to be taken. But in the same breath, I sometimes question if I'm still making the right decision. And that might get me in some trouble. And I'm sorry if it does, but I'm not. <laughs> I think you would be you wouldn't be human if you weren't contemplating that. And anyone that thinks that people wouldn't be thinking about that, either performing or setting up the show, or anything like that, that they're putting themselves at risk, or people that they're, they live with at risk. Um, that's a scary concept, and you never... I mean, independent wrestling is hard enough to do by itself, even when you really want to do it, being motivated, fighting the, the, the economics of it, finding a venue, you know, insurance, all these other things, promoting it. That's hard enough. But when you then have to put in sanitation and safety, and we've been to enough indie shows, all of us, to know, like, I don't think there's anything worse than the 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 uh, the bathroom at yes. the indie yes. at one of these indie shows. Well, here, let's tell them the truth. Sometimes the bathroom is just a bucket in the locker room with a curtain over it for people to go urinate in. It's a wall. <laughs> it's a wall yeah. outside. It's a wall outside. Yeah. It's it's a bucket. It's whatever it is. 
and um, glamorous. You know, I mean, it's I, oh, a car. It's, it's, it's a yeah. car of, of somebody you don't like, you know. Yeah, it's, the, the, it's you know. Um, I always carry around a bottle, a spray bottle of hot, uh, peroxide, and after every match, I spray myself down just to disinfect myself and stay clean. And uh, I've been doing that for years now because ninety nine percent of the time, the times I've gotten sick wrestling or I've caught the flu or something crazy was because I got in the ring with one of these people who doesn't take care of themselves. Luckily, the main reason I'm doing this show is I know everybody who's a participant in it, and I know they've been practicing social distancing. They have been wearing masks. They have been staying home. And these are people that I know that the person I'm wrestling has three children of their own and a wife, and he's not going to put any of them at risk. So I'm okay with doing this match with him. I'm doing everything in my power to be match one because I don't want to be in that peach tree dish of a wrestling ring after everybody sweated in it. You know, it's not yeah, like it's one of the few times that curtain jerking is actually something that everyone is going to be clamoring for. No one wants I'll be to be honest with you. I love curtain jerking. I miss it. I miss curtain jerking. I love setting the tempo for a night. I love uh, being able to pop a crowd and, and the competitive athletic side of me wants to see who can top this. So I've always enjoyed curtain jerking. I like first match after intermission. That was always one of my big spots. Oh, absolutely, because that gets you. You're you're the heat guy. You're the guy who brings the crowd back. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and you get a little bit more time to see how the crowd has been acting in the first, you know, two or three matches before intermission comes in. So that was always my thing. If it can't can't be a main event, be first match after the intermission. But anyway. Um, We're running up right against the hour here. It's been an absolutely fascinating hour. Why don't you have a chance to promote, you know, the upcoming matches that you're doing and uh, any other projects that you have? Sure. Um, If you follow me on Facebook or on Instagram, it's uh, my name, Eric Adams, E-R-I-C-A-D-A-M-Z. With this time off, I've been working a lot more in the production side of wrestling, making uh, little comedy videos and skits and little sagas. I saw uh, it. I was, I was checking yeah. it out. Yeah, uh, we just finished the seven-part saga to unpickle a pepper bottom. It's our manager, Cornelius Pepperbottom. Uh, check him out on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, he's a student that's our manager that we're trying to get him ready and initiate him so he can become a professional wrestler. Um, August the 8th, All-Pro Championship Wrestling at the Hairway Christian Academy. We'll be running there, hopefully barring anything coming up. And um, on every Tuesday night, 8.05, Beyond Bushido. It's a podcast I do with my friend James Loquist. We're looking back at the world and art of shoot wrestling from uh, UWFI, uh, Fujiwara Gumi. Now we're into the Pan Craze stuff. Oh, yeah, we do it every Tuesday night. Uh, our special guest host every week. I'm just going to, I think this is the week we're going to initiate him as a fellow co-host. Uh, Renee, he's on that show too. Uh, we have a lot of fun. We talk wrestling, we talk politics, we talk uh, current events, and uh, we have a lot of fun doing it. Uh, of course, there's the drinking games that go on. Uh, two episodes ago, James and Renee decided that they were going to Every time someone got a knee bar or any kind of leg lock in, 
they were going to go ahead and uh, have a drink. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, well, I made sure to pick a really good episode for that one. So uh, (laughs) it was uh, Takayama versus Fujiwara. Nice. So that's a lot of of those moves. Yeah, you know, and it's fun teaching people the history of uh, MMA and where it originates from. So we've been having a lot of fun with that. Um, also, I do special uh, secondary episodes called Beyond Bonfire. Uh, the first one we did was actually with Kevin Sullivan. And uh, we showed some old Kevin Sullivan matches from his time when he was wrestling for Continental Wrestling, for Florida Wrestling, of course, some WCW stuff, and even the original WWF stuff that he did when he was a young Irish babyface for the company in the 70s. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that was a lot of fun. Um, we're working on a couple other guys coming in. But uh, those are my projects. And, you know, Evan, I love you to death. You've always been Maybe. my biggest supporter. Thanks. You've always been really helpful to me, and I appreciate this again. Buddy, it's been a Bye. pleasure talking to you. I'd love to have you actually come on, and maybe we could do a Beyond Bonfire talking about the history of, a- of all pro wrestling in the California I would scene. love to do that. I, would lo- I just did a podcast this week on uh, APW and I am I'm, I'm a good source for a lot of yeah. things I mean I you know I, I, I was basically in the same training class as Sarah Del Rey yeah and Tom Castro. Death Ray. yeah yeah and Sarah used to give me low blows and miss and hit me right in the Johnson and yeah. heal me over <laughs> for about half an hour and now so. she's uh, I believe she's the head trainer for the women over at the uh, performance center um, they love her very much they respect her and I'm just very happy for someone like her to have. She's she's leaving her mark in this business for years. You've to never come. met a harder worker, male or female, never. in your entire life than never. Sarah Delray. Her and Mark Smith were like, yeah. very like cut out of the same sort of cloth. That they were very genuine people. And, and Shimmer uh, so, Wrestling, uh, yeah, Asuka, Shimmer, yes. yeah. When when Oscar was still known as Kana, Sarah Delray and Kana had a clinic of a match. That to this day, whenever I speak to any of my female, any of the female wrestling students, I make them watch that match. See, all this the is time. great stuff. We we have a whole nother program we could be yeah. doing here. And see, I, and it's I, crazy I'm, because I remember you now. The problem was I was always getting the bootleg of a bootleg of a bootleg of all pro wrestling. So you know the faces were kind of mashed up and stuff. <laughs> so now I know exactly what you look like. <laughs> Well, and then you add 20 years onto yeah. when I was doing that stuff. So, yeah. you know, that changes things a little bit as well. 20 years adds a few things, plus the, the Zoom camera and all that. But I would love to do your show. You've been an absolutely fantastic guest. There's no question about that I'd love to have you on again, especially after you've done some of these shows. You maybe can tell us what your experience was like and, you know, the future for everything that you're doing in Atlanta. Um, any last words that you would like to have there, Evan? Uh, yes, yes. Eric is wrestling's greatest unsigned talent. I mean that sincerely. <laughs> Thank WWE, you, Evan. WWE, pick them up. <laughs> or at least AEW. Man, you've impressed the hell out of me. And uh, Japan. Yeah. I really hope for the most success for you. And, Thank you and so looking much. looking forward to have you on again on our show soon. Thank, Thank you, everyone. Good night.